I'm film critic Gary Cogill, and after reviewing more than 10,000 films and interviewing just about every actor on the planet, one of my favorite things to do is to share a glass of wine with my wife and talk movies on a deeper, richer level. And I'm wine writer, speaker, and consultant Haley Hamilton Cogill. I'm a sommelier, a certified specialist of wine, founder of Dallas Uncorked, and write a blog called Red Wine with Breakfast. I love to talk movies with my husband, and I get to travel the world chasing the grape. So between wine and film, we are A, a perfect, perfect Pairing. Welcome to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. Now today I'm going to talk about my life as a film critic for more than 24 years and over 10,000 films, kind of how it works, as well as a few one-of-a-kind moments. And I'll explore the world of wine, drinking it, writing about it, talking about it. Talking about it. Nothing makes me happier than to talk wine with you. It's so fun for me. I love it. Yeah? I, well, there's just so many There's so many different topics. It's kind of like the world of film. There are so many different films that are being made. But what really, what, 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 how did you get here? How did you decide, uh, as you were a, a theater major on a wrestling scholarship in college, that you were going to end up being a film critic? I, I'm the only theater major on a wrestling scholarship in college I've ever met. <laughs> Isn't that the weirdest <laughs> yes. tandem? I had a minor in journalism. And I, you know, I just studied acting and I studied journalism and, you know, and was in sports and all that stuff. But, you know, I just it started when... When I grew up watching movies in Oregon, got into college, I used to cut class and go to triple features at the La Mirada Mall in Southern California <laughs> and used to go watch theater, at, you know, at the Amundsen and the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion and the Huntington Hartford Theater. And I started having all these theater and I, I thought at some point I might want to be an actor and I was not a very good actor. I was a really good writer and I still loved film even though I was thinking about becoming an actor. But but really, Siskel and Ebert, Gene, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, both of them have passed away, made it fashionable in the 80s for a major news organization to have a film critic. And I got lucky. And the great Marty Haig, the greatest news director in the history of the world, who uh, was the news director at the number one ABC, ABC affiliate in the country, WFAA in Dallas, uh, called me up and said, uh, I'm going to hire you as a film critic. And I'd been trying to get in that door for months. My first job was in Lufkin, Nacogdoches. I reviewed films for KTRE Channel 9. And they had four movie theaters and a film critic in a nice. town of about nice. 50,000. But I worked out on how to do things and how to write. Because when you write for television, it's very different than writing for print or, or even radio. So I, I learned to be concise and do everything in about two to two and a half minutes. And, and, uh, and it became this... You know, I, I, there all, there's also a point where once you write about 50 reviews, you develop your own voice and your own rhythm. And I started that in college, writing in print for my college newspaper, worked it out in television in Lufkin, Nacogdoches, uh, stayed in Dallas, got the big job at WFAA. And within a matter of about three to four months, I had my own voice and my own rhythm and stayed there for 24 years. So I, I think I also got to go to the movies for free. I think part of that was... And then I got paid for it. I mean, raise your hand if you get paid yeah. to go to the movies. Now it's mostly blogging, and there's very few film critics left. And, and you know, I'm still working in television as a film critic. I think one of the few that gets to actually review on television, not just gab about movies with anchors. So, I, it, it, But reviewing films became very concise for me and a, and a really – I found my voice and my rhythm. And I, I don't care what other people think. I, I only cared about what I thought and hoped – 
that people connected. That was kind of my world. Well, and and how does that, because that's always a question of who are you writing for? Who are you you speaking for? Who are are you trying to to be a critic for? Are you a critic for yourself? Are you a critic for whoever's hired you? Yes, I'm a critic for myself and hope that others connect. And if you try to write for everyone else, you'll fail every time. You can't write a novel for an audience. You write it for yourself and hope people get that i i would assume the same is true in wine for you i mean do you do you write about wine as a wine writer well i'm not i i i'm not a critic and and focus i i don't need to be a critic there yeah. are there are enough people out there that are giving scores and 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 putting numbers on wines that that there doesn't need to be another one of those, but mm. I do, I do know what I like, and I feel very privileged to be able to write about that, and and will never write about a wine that I don't like, just because I don't need to. There are enough other options of really, really great wine, and my palate may not be your palate, but it's it's the palate that that I've developed, and I can certainly. Um, tell the story of a really great wine. Were you a little nervous the first time you started writing about wine? Oh, absolutely. In what way? What, what, what? Well, and I had, I think I should probably preface just um, because I am a, a wine writer and, and have an opportunity to do that for our city magazine here in Dallas, D Magazine, and and have done that for a number of years, but had, had been writing for a few different outlets before that. And, and I think that what really made me nervous was when I started Dallas Uncorked just because I did have this this very corporate job as a vice president with the Nielsen ratings to to all of a sudden try to teach people about wine but again it's it's in that context of let's make it approachable let's make it let's make it something that that anyone can enjoy and again the wines that that I may select or the wines that we may have featured or still feature today uh, may not be the wines that you love, but I think that there's some pretty special wines, and they all have a really good story. And I think that at the end of the day, if you can tell that story, then that's what makes it special. And and we don't have there's so there's so few actual storytellers left. I think in in journalism in general, there nobody takes the time to tell a story. They'd rather give maybe in in my world a, a rating point and a two word descriptor. I think it's probably hmm. the same for for you with films. There's so many there's so many bloggers out there now that have their opinions that that maybe are more interested in the celebrity instead of the actual content of the film. Yeah, those are called quote whores, and they you see them on posters. They love to have their names quoted in a, in a movie coming out, good or bad. It's it's a, we'll do that sometime. But 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 I I. I think it's. I think you probably found your voice pretty early as you started writing about wine too, because you have a real rhythm to your writing. You 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 get to the story. You I learn about people and the people that make the wine as much as what you feel about the wine. Well, and I think that that's the fun part of it. My gosh, the 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 whole the whole art of making a glass of wine is really you you have to be you have to be an artist you have to be passionate because it is hard work it is there is nothing glamorous about it and i think that that's why it's so funny between the two of us the both of the worlds that we live in that that i get to explore different wine regions and you get to go to the movies for free 
Um, it's it's kind of what most people do for their vacations or for their 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 big date nights out. And, and yeah, you have the best job in the world. Well, it's also it is hard work sometimes, but it uh, you know we we go on vacation to to do to do my job and and as I've traveled around, I've gotten to meet so many different people that maybe are exploring a Napa or a Willamette or a, you know, Santa Barbara or, or a, any, any winery, Texas Hill Country, that, um, that they've saved their, their whole life or this is their big destination and they've wanted to just explore some of these regions. And I, I feel so blessed and so privileged that I, I get to do that as, as part of my job. Yeah, we have the best two jobs in the world. Hey, when we come back, movies, I'm going to talk specifically that I will never forget seeing as a critic. Some of those early days where I got to be in the right place at the right time. And Haley continues her thoughts on what her life is like as she travels the world chasing the grape. Welcome back, everyone, to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. And what it's like for Haley to write about wine and what it's like for me to write about film as a critic. So, Haley, I have to tell you, I, I, you have these pinch-me moments. I know you've had some in wine. Can't wait to hear about them. But I got on a plane one day, and I fly to Los Angeles, and I'm sitting in a screening room, and I'm seeing Schindler's List for the very first time a month before it comes out. And the next morning, and I'm, of course I'm blown away, because I think Schindler's List is frame for frame one of the best movies ever made and and culturally significant. And the next morning, I'm sitting in a room with Ray Fiennes, talking with him about playing one of the most awful human beings in the world, and in a room with Spielberg, and in a room with Liam Neeson, who should have won the Oscar for that, <laughs> because he was great as Oscar Schindler. And I'll never forget sitting there going, this is where I always want to be. Rather than in a screening room watching a film starring Polly Shore, God bless Polly Shore, but that's not this. And and the the level of conversation that you get in is where you I always want to be. And I know not every wine is a perfect bottle of wine, but you always you're always hoping it's great. And but it, but for me, I mean, sitting in and sh seeing Schindler's List, flying to Toronto for the first time years ago, and I'm riding the elevator with Andre the Giant. Because I'm going to a screening of The Prince's Bride. And I see this thing months before it ever comes out in theaters. And I remember going into a room in Toronto and I see this little film that nobody had ever heard of. And it's The Shawshank Redemption. And the next morning I'm interviewing Morgan Freeman and Frank Darabont who wrote that film and directed that film. And, and isn't Shawshank just a film that it doesn't matter where you where you pick it, where you're... What time of the film that you see it? It's on all the time. It's a stop down but, moment when it comes on thank TV. Thank you. Yes, it's. I yes. love Shawshank so much I that any time it's on, it doesn't matter if it's the beginning of the film or the end of the film. I will stop and I will watch the rest of it. One of the, it's so good. One of the movies that does that for me is Heat, Michael yeah. Mann's film with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer and all of them. I mean, I, I that film knocks me out. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget seeing Saving Private Ryan in a movie theater with a whole bunch of veterans. And I sat with three guys who survived first wave Omaha Beach, D-Day Normandy. And at the end of it, they're all crying their eyes out. And they all say to me, please tell Steven he did a great job. Like, I have a hotline to Steven Spielberg. But I did. I got to tell him, you know, yeah. and he and a lot of thousands of people told him because they they got that film right. 
but you know, there's these moments that you get every once in a while that just kind of happen because you're in the right place at the right time. And I'm in an industry where every once in a while I get to see greatness. I'll never get, I'm in a, a, a Manhattan little tiny screen room in Manhattan and I see field of dreams and I'm walking back with a group of film critics to the hotel and half of them can't stand that film. They didn't get it. They didn't see the players. The other half are going, man, that was That's magical. Great. Cause great films about baseball are not really about baseball. They're about life, about other things. So those are experiences for me. I mean, do you remember like, what is it for you? Your first time ever to walk on a vineyard in Italy or France or, you know, parts of Spain or Portugal? Or- well, I think, and just as you were kind of describing your your aha and, and pinch me moments, there was a, a few years ago, I was on a trip to the Loire Valley in France. Um, and we were outside of of the Vouvray area. So Chenin Blanc is the is the grape, which again they they make it hard sometimes to to know what you're actually drinking in that bottle. But uh, we were at a chateau, and the owners there. He's a third generation, I believe, grower and and owners of this stunningly beautiful chateau, as as every chateau in Loire just seems to be. I can only imagine. And and we're having um, we're having a lovely meal with him and his wife and and the chateau and. All of a sudden, um, and I'm I'm with about six different American journalists, and and he he disappears to the cellar for a bit, and then comes back with with a 1945 bottle of his aged his, his dessert Chenin Blanc wine, wow. Wow. and and proceeds to tell us that um, during World War II the Germans had actually captured his chateau and vineyards and occupied it. And the Americans um, came in and bombed it, which I is really a rather tragic story. That's, that doesn't sound good. It's a really, but we actually the Americans drove the Germans out, and so he opened this 1945 bottle of Chenin Blanc for us. Wow! That to to say thank you to to his new American friends for what the Americans did to him, and I will tell you, every single man, woman, all of us just bawling and crying and and drinking this this gorgeous wine and that's also one of the most exciting things about wine is when you get to try something that that was just a few years ago so that's what 70 years old yeah that that still had had acidity it had obviously changed it obviously it was a, a very aged wine but there was still something there there was still fruit there was still acidity there was still freshness and and the fact that this this complete stranger would do that for for you know a group of of brand new people in his life he can't have very many of those left no. and so to to open that for us it, I will never forget that well, moment. Well, not only what the people went through, but what that bottle went through oh, just abs- to survive. That it's well, and that the fruit survived, and that yeah. the 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 wines. There, there's an incredible book that I know we both read and love called Wine and War, and and it talks about all of these. All of these vineyards, especially in France and Germany, that were just destroyed during World War II and and also in World War One, that that still are producing such incredible incredible wine today. And and how did that happen? And how they how the the story of how it started versus how it's ended is is pretty, wow. pretty interesting. So you go back to your 
chateau room that night yeah. in France with just a life. That's a that's a life experience. It was it was incredible. That is really kind of rare and kind of amazing. Yeah. I feel that way about movies. So let's do this. Let's take a little break, and uh, when we come back on wine and film, a perfect pairing. I'm going to ask Haley a couple surprise questions about wine. She has no idea what I'm going to ask her, and I'm sure she'll have a couple questions to ask me about movies. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We are back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. And yes, we have a few questions for each other. But first, you talked about France uh, just briefly, that great story. What about Italy? Well, it's it's funny. My my kind of aha wine moment is was the first time I had a Barolo. So yeah. to be able to travel to the Piemonte region and and visit these vineyards and visit the the great uh, wineries of of the Piemonte, it's just such it's magical. And and when you love wine, and I think it's probably the same thing when you've met actors and directors and producers that you admire uh, to to actually stand on that soil and to see those vineyards and and then to to get to drink Barolo for a whole week it's like that's the the best moment that you can ever have and and to love something for so long and then to actually get to experience it and see it and meet the people to meet a uh, a Barbera and a Barolo uh, or a Nebbiolo grower that that this lovely woman she was 95 years old she she her grandfather had planted those vines that's just incredible and she was there she's lived in the same house her entire life and it was her grandfather's house and her great grandfather's house and the generations and the history that's what makes something so wow, special wow that's what wow. makes it so. That's just what makes it so incredible. Well, that's, what, that's what I love about you because you know, there's a, every wine has a story. Every wine has a story. Can I throw a curveball question at you? Uh, uh, is it difficult to write about a wine you don't like? Well, I won't write about a wine I don't like. So that's the nice thing about just being a, a writer and a speaker uh, versus actually having to be a critic. Because I would imagine that when you when you have to review over 400 films a year does that can you can you still be objective is that too many does it does, does that many seeing that many films in a year does it change the experience no it becomes tiresome when you see more than three films in one day but that doesn't happen very often i mean i see far fewer films than bottles of wine you open but but no uh i i'm really lucky in that i've always been able to compartmentalize every film move on to the next one, not even worry about it. You know, you see a film, you take your notes, you write about it, and then you move on, and you, you hope people connect. So for me, uh, I've never... No, I, you get a little burned out in February and March because all the bad movies come out the first three months of the year, and it's kind of always that way every year. You see more bad film, overhyped films then, and then you can't wait till November and December when almost all the films are really interesting and have something, most of them, and that's when the Oscar contenders come out. So, no. Hey, does it ruin a bottle of wine for you when you have to taste? Because I know you've had days where you've had to taste 300 bottles in one day. That sounds day. like it would ruin wine for me. Does it ruin it for you? 
It does. I don't think that it, it would ruin anything. And those were big days. And, and I think that that's the, the day when when all of our friends that say it, they want to be in my suitcase when I'm on a trip or 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 how how glamorous the job is. It is still a job. But but that's part of that's part of being able to do what I do. And and your palate might be a little bit fatigued and you just want to drink a beer because you need something to, to re-energize uh, what's going on. But but it certainly doesn't ruin it. And especially because even even with all of those wines, there's still somebody's story behind it. There's still some guy that it, it, he might it might be the 300th wine that you try in a day. But that that whoever made that man or woman that their their heart is in that that's their soul that's their passion that's their livelihood that's everything that they are in in a bottle and you have to respect that okay we talked about stories of people that we liked but every once in a while a winemaker is not a nice person or is unruly or kind of a mess Uh does that ruin the story of the wine does it ruin the wine for you um, no, it doesn't ruin the wine because you can still appreciate what's in the glass, but I may not, I may not want to write about them. <laughs> and, and it's, it's tough. And I, I would say maybe not as much the winemaker, but maybe some of the owners. Right. Um, because that's, it's probably kind of like dealing with a producer versus dealing with a director because the, the owner's the money and yeah. <laughs> they are, yeah. they, um, they have their own agenda sometimes. Whereas the, the winemaker, I think sometimes is, is just trying to do the very best and, and make the, make the best wine they can from the, from the fruit that they have. So the wine can still be good. He can just be an ass. It just may not be, the, it, it may not be the wine <laughs> he that or I, she, yes. they are both. Yes, that I really want to. I really want to write about every day, and and as since I'm not a critic, I I get to have that opportunity. I get to write about the wines that that I really do love, and and conversely, I have I have fallen more in love with different wines if if I really really like the people who are making it, and appreciate that. So is it the same with film? Can you can you love a can you love a film that you know the the money behind it is just they're just bad people or the or the actor <laughs> or the is a, actor is, is a an total ass. jerk or is an ass <laughs> yes i've compartmentalized that too and i've separated interviewing actors and reviewing films and they're two separate things and i never let them touch so you can and by the way if i'm interviewing an actor about a truly god awful film i'll ask two or three questions and then we'll talk about something interesting because actors can be interesting apart from the movie that they're in, and their stories are interesting, just like wine. So I, I, I just kind of separate the two. Yes, it's always awesome. Yes, I wish every day I was interviewing the cast of Schindler's List or you know Shakespeare in Love or Saving Private Ryan or A River Runs Through It or you know or Best in Show or Waiting for Guffman. Oh my God, I wish every day was like that, but they're not. But a good movie is a good movie. And and an actor, I, I just kind of separate those two. That that doesn't really really bother me much. No, not at all. It's good. Yeah. So in the grand scheme of wine and film, one of our favorite things is we sit around and I'll throw a movie at you, and you'll pair it with a wine. Can we do one? Sure. Just one. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. One of the greatest movies ever made, 1962. He wins the Oscar, Gregory Peck for Best Actor. It's a classic. 
It's a great film. It's considered one of the great films, one of the best transitions from books into movies. What would you pair with that wine? What wine would you pair with To Kill a Mockingbird? Well, I would say you have to have a classic wine then. So it it would be a, a first growth Bordeaux. Let's or or a, you know, let's just throw the the Stag's Leap Wine Cellars Paris tasting winner of 1976 from Napa from Napa Valley. So you know, a really, really great Napa cab that that has history and has and has substance, or a you know an Aubryon or or some great classic Bordeaux that that has that that has such a story and such history and is such a classic classic wine. So, so I'll take a great Bordeaux and watch To Kill a Mockingbird, but I'll also take a really great Chateau Montalena and watch To Kill a Mockingbird. Absolutely. It's I'd a do that. yes, fantastic fantastic cab, fantastic Chardonnay. The the Chardonnay winner from a The other Chardonnay. Yeah. Hey fun. Can we do this again sometime? <laughs> Let's do it. Hey, that's it for today on Wine and Film a Perfect Pairing. I'm Gary Kogel and as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Kogel, always looking for that next great glass. Join us next time on A, a Perfect, Perfect Pairing. Pairing.